You know when you're out with your friends and they all order beer and then you look insane when you don't want any beer? I mean, no offense to any of my friends out there, but I'm not a crazy obsessed beer drinker. I mean, once in a while, but I don't really love it. But I did recently try Bud Light Seltzer. It's not beer. It's a hard seltzer from Bud Light. Finally, there's something I can drink when everyone else is having a beer. Bud Light Seltzer's 5% alcohol, 100 calories, and it comes in four flavors. There's strawberry, lemon lime, mango, and my go-to black cherry. They're all super refreshing and perfect when I want something with a little more kick than just sparkling water. You know what I'm saying? Bud Light Seltzer, unquestionably good. Cindy? Julian? Hello. Hi. I'm going to pretend like I came up with this opener, but I didn't. <laughs> actually, I'm not going to pretend at all, actually. And if you guys don't like it, you can blame it on Cindy. But she, if you love it, this is all Jill. Right. Because I'm going to do something with it because I got one sentence. Ready? One setback is a setup for a comeback. And I, that's all I got. Could you do something with this? It's like handing me a tomato. Make me something to eat. <laughs> Make me a tomato salad. Yeah, exactly. Which I'm about to. No, in all transparency, I was like, actually, yeah, it's been a long time since we talked about failing as an entry point for learning. Is that what you meant, by the way? It or, is. Or did I just run with that? Whichever works best for you. Fair. <laughs> Fair. And I have so many failures so often. Did I ever tell you my wine... Uh, analogy. Well, it's not really an analogy. Yeah. Not really. It's just more just like a sad story, really. So my brother was helping me move some wine around in the house. And uh, we were loading them into this little like refrigerator wine cooler thing. And there's a lot of bottles of wine, right? And I'm looking at each one. And I was like, Greg, each one of these bottles represents a failure. And he, he was just like, what are you talking about? And I was like, this bottle is the time 100 list I never made. Oh, yeah. I told you this. Yes, right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I like, we talked about this. Yeah. One. This is the show that the second season pickup I never got. <laughs> this is the Emmy I did not win. This is the, you know, and it's like I would buy these bottles thinking that like I would like celebrate. I would, this would be the bottle that I would enjoy when I celebrated whatever success. And you know, along the way, there were a lot of failures and a lot of setbacks. A lot of bottles. That did not get... Now I'm having sideways moments where we're like drinking them with chili dogs. <laughs> that happened to be organic. Take it easy. Applegate Farms organic. And no, that's not a paid plug. Uh, just defending myself for eating hot dogs. So, like, it, literally I started doing... Like, we were opening bottles of, like, Opus from 2007 with hot dogs in the house. Because <laughs> um, I was like, we got to just seize the day. Carpe diem. I don't know why I'm hearkening back to all these movies from the 80s. Uh, it was a great movie. Dead Poets Society. I highly recommend you see it. Cut to, right? Okay. Prolific today, Cindy. Prolific. So I, I thought about all those bottles. And in the moment when you failed or you lost or whatever it might be, it didn't go the way you want, it feels like you're a loser. It really does. It feels yeah. like you're you're losing and just like you can't get ahead of it and you can't catch a break. But the reality is that these 
moments, and I've said it a million times before, but they are entry points for learning. They are there to make you better, stronger, to perfect your craft so that when the right opportunity, person, place, or thing presents itself in life, you've done the work. You're ready. And it could be a failed relationship. Like, um, I was talking to a friend the other day and, and she, she has like anger issues, um, and has blown so many relationships over like impulsive outbursts. Mm. And I was like, sweetheart. And it's like, I don't mean it, you know, but I don't mean it. I'm like, it doesn't matter whether you mean it or not. You say it and it's drama. It's like, yeah, but they just need to learn how to handle me. This is just my one flaw. I'm like, no, you need to work on this flaw. And then, you know, it's like you get into therapy, you work on the flaw, and then the person you're really meant to be with comes around and then you're ready for that person. Because yeah. that guy she was dating wasn't really right for her to begin with. So all transparency, right? But you just, you got to see it that way, but you have to be willing to put your ego aside and do the work, take responsibility for it. Oh, yes, Jake. I see it's, the hand. Your hand went up. I don't know if it's, I don't know if I'm giving the credit to the right person, but it's like Thomas Edison or one of those inventors. Oh boy, it's something like I haven't failed a hundred times. I've found a hundred ways to not do to not do something, or a hundred ways hmm. that something that it didn't work. work yeah. yeah, that it didn't work. Yeah, something like that. It's something, something like that's paraphrasing. Oh, you failed a hundred times there. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> it's like I'm a hundred steps closer to, to to making it work. It's like a, it's like a hundred light bulbs I didn't invent <laughs> to invent one or something. I mean, uh, yeah, again, now I'm like that. I don't know, but the the point is, you, you're not taking it like, oh, I'm a loser. This is a loss. It's, right. Ah, okay. Add it to the you know to strengthen me. Whatever. Well, and it's also. Um, not well. That didn't work, so I'm not doing anything like that again. It's yeah, like, you know, it's, well, no. If at first you don't succeed, it can be so discouraging. It, of but like we were looking at, like we were talking about the app the other day, and we were looking at the top. This is so interesting. The top 200 downloads, um, for like health and fitness, free. Not paid. Mm. Free apps. So you can download these apps for free, though. But they're not saying, like, when you go to top paid, none of the apps that are free to download are in top paid, right? So I was just, like, I was so discouraged. I'm like, I don't understand. And the app's doing really well. But I'm like, how are we not in the top 200 in brands, like, with trainers you never heard of? Or, right. you know, like, not to sound like a jerk. But, like, you know, you've never, like, total no name. Like, mm-hmm. how is that? And it's even above me, it's above Tone It Up, it's above Kaylee. It's like, there's a bunch of those. And you're like, how is that pot? And, it, and I was like, I feel super discouraged. Like, what are we doing wrong? And then we came to learn that these are, you know, these are tech companies supporting fitness. So what that basically means is they've got like millions and millions of dollars. So they're about yeah. customer acquisition. So oh. they call it ramp up versus profitability. So their ramp up is like, we want to get all the customers we can get, even if they're not conversions, they're not Hmm. converting to paid customers because they have millions and millions and millions of dollars to spend behind downloading it. And then can they market you something else? You know what I mean? Or, or over time, can they convert you with like a variety of different offers to being a paid subscriber? But being on the top 200 free is great exposure, right? So then the people can, and I'm not suggesting these companies did this, but people can also game that by hiring companies mm. to do fake installs, kind of like bots. God, it's oh, it's so, nuts. It's like, yeah, but we learned so 
much. So did you feel less? Well, what we decided we, we well. Yeah, we we got to the bottom of it, but it allows us to make decisions, right? So it's like, all right, yeah. do we do we talk to intelligent tech companies about financing the app? And you know, the the problem is people don't understand how expensive apps are. Well, and then, you know, they're very expensive to build, create, maintain, yeah. market. Like it's it's an interesting game. So they're they're like, God, the amount of money because we can't spend on advertising. Because we we can't not be profitable. We're we're not a tech company. We don't have millions of dollars to fund this. We're self funded. We run the thing ourselves, and so it's it's like an acquisition. You can spend like two dollars to get a customer to download it, and that doesn't mean they're going to convert to be a customer to actually use my app, right? It just means they might just use it for the free workouts and the free seven minute workout and never want to do anything else, which is fine. But you just spent two dollars for them to to do that. Right. And you don't know yeah. if they're going to convert. These companies can spend 10 bucks to get that download. We don't have that kind of money to burn. So then by going in and figuring this out, you, you can you, you now you're you've educated yourself. Yes, and you can and make the decision right of like okay, do we do we go down that path or do I feel like we actually are succeeding? And which we are, but when other people are crushing me, I'm like, why am I being Again, crushed? I'm not to sound like a dick, but I'm Jillian Michaels. But like comparison. I mean, like I am the biggest. I mean, I don't. I have eight best-selling. It's comparisons. Yeah. Eight best-selling books. I'm on every freaking talk show. I've been on. Like, like how am I losing so badly? And it, it messed with my head. And now I now I understand. Mm-hmm. So it's like I was like, why am I losing so badly? Even though. Our app is super successful. We were voted top apps by Apple and Google in fitness. But why is it not? And there's all this stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know. We're not a tech company. We're a fitness company. That's the kind of thing where it's too bad when you you apply for a job that you don't get that you're not able to then request an interview, like a phone five minutes with HR to say, can you help me? Was I bad? Was it the interview? Was I nervous? Is it my resume? Do I need more? Where do I need more experience? Because that would really help. I got that once. I didn't get a job called Flab to Fab, which was a weight loss show on either, I think VH1. And they gave me the feedback because I thought for sure I was getting that job. And I used it, applied it when I went on the Biggest Loser audition and got that one. See, that's amazing. Yep. That's, That's a setback. Leading to a comeback. Boom. There's so many paths to finding your family story. But whether you're tracing them generations back with a family tree or uncovering your ethnicity with Ancestry DNA, it's easy to get started with Ancestry. Ancestry DNA can tell you your ethnic origins and give you historical details to bring your family stories to life. And it doesn't just tell you what countries you're from, it can also pinpoint the specific regions. I was pretty sure I knew where my grandparents were from, and now that I've confirmed it with an Ancestry DNA test, I want to see how many generations back I can go. It was super easy to do. I got my kit, sent in my saliva sample, and they sent me my results. Give it a try. Start exploring your family story today. Simply head to my URL at Ancestry.com slash Jillian to get your Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. That's an Ancestry DNA kit and a free trial at Ancestry.com slash Jillian. One more time, guys. It's Ancestry.com slash Jillian. Okay, babes, listen up. 
You can stop worrying that coloring your hair might damage it because Madison Reed's at-home hair color is made with ingredients you can feel good about. That means no more ammonia, no more parabens, phthalates, and no PPD, SLS, or gluten. Madison Reed hair color is infused with argon oil, keratin, and ginseng root extract so you get shiny, healthy-looking hair right at home. And Madison Reed makes it easy to find your perfect shade with their online color quiz. And what's really cool is you can actually try on the different shades with their hair color tool to see how you'll look and find your favorite. Get ammonia-free, multi-tonal hair color delivered to your door for less than $25 at madison-reed.com. And use my promo code Jillian and you'll get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit. Again, my promo code is Jillian. Visit madison-reed.com now to find your perfect shade. That's madison-reed.com. So in the interest of May being Mental Health Month, uh, we thought this would be a great time to have author and ABC News Chief Medical Correspondent, Dr. Jennifer Ashton on. And we're going to talk about her new book, Life After Suicide. Doc. Hi, how, guys. How Thanks for are having you? me. I, I feel like I need to be transparent. Dr. Ashton and I have met throughout the years many times. And yep. uh, she's given me medical advice. I mean, she's, <laughs> one, I, she's one of the right. uh, most incredible OBGYNs I've ever met. Um, you guys know I'm fascinated yeah. by understanding hormones and how they affect your body and your weight and your longevity and your age. And I mean, I'll never forget you talking to me backstage about like metformin and micro dosing for the, and like living longer. And I mean, I worship you and your tremendous knowledge in the space. I mean, and then you, you were just, you know, we were talking about how you went on to get your degree in nutrition, all this stuff. And, um, and that's why this book, to some would be such a departure because you yeah. again have so many letters after your name uh md being being the, t- the yeah. two that we know you for them predominantly and and then we have this book life after suicide finding courage comfort and community after unthinkable loss uh and when i because i just got the the um the galley when i was going through the book it's like this isn't just about like this is about unthinkable loss period like i i right. personally haven't had anyone commit suicide but loss death Thanks tragedy God. i was like jesus this is yep such a gift such a tool so i was wondering if you could first tell our audience why you wrote the book well i'll tell you guys something i it's my fourth book but i i hope and pray my most important one, but it's the only one I didn't want to write, ironically, because when um, the father of my children and my ex-husband, Rob, died by suicide in February of 2017, um, he was also a physician. We had two weeks prior, you guys, been in a courtroom finalizing our divorce, which, by the way, in the state of New Jersey, you have to go to court, but it was very amicable, evolved. We hugged each other at the end. We, we loved each other. We just weren't in love with each other anymore. And we were texting the day before Rob died. Jesus and Christ. it came out of the blue. He had no warning signs that, you know, he and I learned about in medical school, um, at all. Right. And, you know, uh, unlike you, 
um, and I pray this continues for, for you, Jillian, I had known three people close to me who had died by suicide. And I, I had felt like I had been kind of close enough to it, especially with um, my best girlfriend whose sister had died by suicide six months before Rob, that I felt like I kind of understood the world. I didn't understand the world at all till it hit me and my children. And so when I, you know, as a, someone who works for one of the world's largest media companies, ABC, <laughs> and I'm on Good Morning America, you know, several times a week, I have a very public um, career. Right. And this made national news. And it was the last thing that I wanted to do was talk about it publicly because my sole focus was helping my children heal and recover from this unthinkable tragedy. They were 17 and 18 years old at the time. And I then when I felt like they were starting to heal and recover, I, I just wanted to go back to doing what I do, which was, you know, be a healer, you know, and I, I just believe I was put on this planet to be a healer, which is why I went to medical school. And, um, and it was not until I had to talk about Kate Spade's suicide that Good Morning America asked me if I would share some of my personal experience with this. And when I did, you guys, the floodgates Mm. opened and I heard from hundreds of people who said, I'm going through the same thing. Thank you for speaking for us. I know exactly what you're going through. And it was actually my daughter, Chloe, um, said to me, Mom, you, you have to use your voice. So many people are hurting. You have to, you have to address this issue. And your expertise. And it was, trust me when I tell you, and I don't know if this is true for you, Jillian, but I would so much rather be the one giving the help than getting the help. Mm -hmm. So it was really hard for me to open up about the worst time of my life and all of the vulnerability and imperfections that came along with that. Um, but my goal of helping other people actually was very therapeutic for me too. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. It was, it, it just really happened. Deeply cathartic. I'm sure when, whenever, yeah. whenever I would imagine most people, when they go through tragedies, it comes out, either it's your art or your work or however it may be, because we have to bring a meaning to that loss. And, and that's exactly exactly what you've done. It was like when Viktor Frankl wrote man's search for meaning after coming out of a concentration camp, it was like, how can I, how can I make sense of this? I've got to give this a meaning and do my best to help other people with, with what I've been through. And I, I was looking at some statistics. Uh, (laughs) Suicide is on the rise massively in the United States. Yep. Yep. Do you have a theory so, on this? Because uh, like, and Giancarlo, we yeah. were going around and it, it was like, geez, like, oh, I've, I've known people that have come in. Cindy, yeah. same. And to be fair, I just, when you just said that to me, I'm so embarrassed. I don't know how I blocked this out. My childhood best friend from probably, I want to say six to 14, um, ended up killing herself at 17. And she was so disturbed and we had kind of lost touch in that that period, because right. I, I, and I remember for years, I kind of we all knew, and there were the threats, and the, I can't believe I blocked that out. Mm. I was like, Jesus, Jill, you're 
What is so, wrong with you? So listen to this statistic. No, I mean, it's not. I, I don't know, know how again, I block I, that out. I mean, I'm much. I, it's been 30 years, but maybe like protective, you know, maybe it was so painful for you that you, you know, wanted to kind of put it in its own little box. It, and, yeah. You know, I, I never talk like, about it. I never think about it. It's like and people ask you know. me sometimes, like, you really don't have any childhood friends. I'm like, well, I had two. And, you know, one I lost touch with at this age and one killed herself. And I, I can't believe right. I just told you I've never known anyone. I, I can't believe I just that's, said that. That's, that's unbelievable. That's not true. I, I don't know why. I, I, anyway, I'm sorry. Please uh So, please so well, you just, you just did a very nice tribute to her memory, which, which is a beautiful thing. But, you know, I, you talk about the statistics. And suicide is now the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. How is that possible? That? How is that suicide possible? Suicide kills... Suicide is the cause of death for more people than homicide, car accidents, and breast cancer combined. Oh, my God. Right? It's unbelievable. So Uh, so uh, when you think about that, right, and then you – so in in 2017, the CDC statistics are that 47,000 Americans died by suicide. And for every one person who dies by suicide – now the estimates are that 135 people are directly affected or impacted by that suicide death. So do the math, you guys. This is millions of people, yeah. millions of people. And 1.3 million suicide attempts. It's crazy, right? Right. So uh, when I, you know, I'll be honest with you, when I was approached by HarperCollins to write this book and... My first answer was, why would anyone care about my story? Like, this is happening to tens of thousands of people, you know, all the time. Why? What's different with mine? Who cares? And I think that the issue is, and, and so, you know, my, the second thing I said to Harper Collins, by the way, was, listen, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a mental health professional. I, I, what, I can't write a book on how to prevent suicide. Um, and they said, no, that's not, that's not what we think people can be helped by necessarily. We want you to share your story of what it's like to live after someone you love dies by suicide. Right. And that healing, as you said, you know, when you started Jillian is it's yes, this is a different kind of grief after death by suicide. You know, death by suicide is different than death by car accident or cancer or, Um, you know, homicide, but, but you're right. Like you and I, I think look at life, like what's the macro view and what's the micro view. And the macro view is that by, by some miracle and by a lot of help and support from other people, my children and I have really found a deeper purpose in life. And the people I interview in the book have as well. And I think and pray that that can help so many other people who are at various stages of surviving the suicide death of a loved one and struggling to find that life after suicide as well. There's so much in the book, though, that is applicable, or at least in, in my opinion, to kind of reconciling with all of those stages of grief, you know, because because you do yeah. you do have I mean, it's just, it's very, none of this is cut and dry, no matter the loss. I would imagine yeah. suicide is the most complicated loss you could face. Yeah. Um, yeah. For the I, obvious I mean, reasons. Yeah. 
I think so. And, you know, I think for me, um, and I know my children who are now, you know, 19 and 20, and they're just amazing, amazingly courageous, brave, kind and sensitive people. They, we didn't want to make, you know, anger and resentment and bitterness at the world or at life, a secondary tragedy to what happened to Rob. He but how do you that. get through that? Because that's what I really want to ask you. Like, how do you yeah. transcend that? Because that would be, I mean, when I look at, I mean, anger yeah. is, uh, right. it's, I mean, you, do you feel it? Do you do, like, cause, cause I, I mean, I'm, I don't know how I would overcome. I would be so like, how could you do this? How could you not talk to us? Yeah. How could you? And I imagine as a child, you'd feel like, you didn't love me enough. Like I wasn't right. enough. Like in my mind, as I was looking at your book, I was just like, Jesus Christ, like flipping right. through it, thinking right. of everything I would feel and personally right. and how betrayed and how angry. And then, mm-hmm. Oh my God. And then was I guilty? Did I not say something? Should I have said something? Should I have mm-hmm. seen the signs? Like I can't effing imagine yeah. what you must have I mean, felt. Listen, yes, yes, yes. To all those things. And it's in, and I talk about that in the book, right? Yeah, I talk about how, you know, I was a doc- I'm a doctor. Rob was a doctor. I lived with this man for 22 years. I, um, you know, he didn't have any of the classic warning signs. Um, when we went through um, marriage counseling before we decided to um, get a divorce, the therapist asked both of us if we had ever thought of suicide, and he said absolutely not. And, um, you know, and... I think in terms of anger, you know, for me, and this is specific to my story, I had dealt with my anger to Rob kind of towards the end of our marriage. I had felt like he had pulled away from me and our relationship. And so I had to process a lot of that anger in the years, maybe let's say five or so years before his death. And so you know, as I kind of described to some people, I felt like he had already pulled away from me and then he just pulled away from life. And so I felt a lot of anger to him at pulling away from me. Of course. I feel pain and sadness that he pulled away from life, not anger. Um, And, you know, my daughter, who's, I mean, you know, as a mom, like our kids teach us I think more than we teach them, right? Like, we're, if you're, <laughs> if you, if you can put your ego aside, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, totally. Like they and and my daughter, right after Rob's death, said something to my mom that my mother repeated to me, which is, she said, you know, Dad made a choice, and we have to respect his choice. Oh wow! And it's just like we say to our kids, right? Like. You don't have to like what I say, but you do have to listen to it because right. I'm mm. the parent, wow. right? And she basically said that, Jesus. and and that's how she feels, and that's how my son feels. And they and my son's comment, which to me says it all, was, you know, Dad had a disease like cancer that killed him. Yeah, he's right. That's that's how he. So that's smart. how they Jeez. look at it. So wow, yeah, they're, they're unbelievable, right? What? How so, is that wow. possible? You know, Doctor Ashton, um, you know what? G, hold that question for Doctor Ashton. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Fine. Fine. 
Dr. Ashton, my yeah. sister's an ER doctor, and one of the things I talk to her about from time to time when she kind of tells me her cases during the day is anytime she's had a suicide come in where they've not been able to help them revive, she yeah. always tells the family they made a choice. And yeah. as difficult as that choice is, that's the life path that they chose. But um, I want to ask you a question because this is <clears throat> close to me because I'm a I'm a, a male in my mid-40s, and I've noticed that a lot of my, just from my high school class, I've had five friends wow. um, no longer that are with us. So I'm just trying to understand what's, these are, you know, guys with careers and wives and children and just like your husband. You know, what is yeah. it really? Because we had everything in common. We stayed in touch. And it's just like, how does that happen? How are there no clues? Like, what I mean, are we doing? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the million dollar question, right? And I think, I think that, you know, as an MD who's not a psychiatrist, the way I look at that from a medical standpoint is kind of the same way if you were saying to me, uh, any of you, you know, Jen, what do you say to the person who, does all the right things. They don't smoke. They exercise. Their weight is ideal. They yeah. eat perfectly clean diet and they get cancer. Yeah. Like it's, you know, it happens, right? It's mm -hmm. sometimes you can do all the right things and still have something bad happen, right? Those things lower your chances and they lower your risk, but it's never zero. And so what I think of when, when I hear your statistics, and I'm so sorry for your losses, Giancarlo. I mean, Thank you. I, you know, and I, I think that now we're at a point, um, and Jillian, remind me how old your daughter is now? She's actually mm -hmm. turning nine this week. Isn't she like going to college? She's actually, she uh, you know, like another it. show is she's going into puberty <laughs> and she's eight. So like if you'd come back, yeah. I'd love to know what oh, in the right. f*** yeah. is going on. Uh, but let's, we're right. staying on topic about the book right yeah. now. So, so, so I literally think that now, just like when, when we have kids that your daughter's age, and we say like, okay, um, you know, don't get into the car with a stranger yes. or, oh my God. you know, don't, um, you know, don't take drugs, don't smoke cigarettes, you know, like all the stuff that parents say to their kids. I feel like we need to start talking about mental health, mental illness and suicide in that conversation. I literally feel like it just like you teach your daughter. Okay. If there's an emergency, sweetie, you know what to do? 911. Right. That and this is and what's your name and this is your address. I think we need to say, oh, here's the number one eight hundred two seven three talk. That's the suicide prevention lifeline. I feel like everyone needs to know that number now um, because someone can look like any of your friends, Giancarlo. They can look like my ex husband. They can look like Kate Spade. They can look like Anthony you know, Bourdain. On a, right or you know, yeah. right. I mean, and, what? Like that? And, it and makes no sense. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. I mean, a guy with the world at his fingertips literally had everything, yep. everything, a but, huge but, career. But think, People loved him. I think the thing is, you know, I I'm embarrassed to say that before Rob died by suicide, I did not know that much about suicide. And why would you, Doc? Even I though, mean, you know, well, I mean, it had affected friends and one of my patients and, you know, 
um, not not her, but her husband. And so, you know, it, it had been enough in my world, but I just, you know, I feel like, and I feel like, you know, we all do this, right? Like we say, oh, I don't have to worry about that. It doesn't affect me. Well, it does. <laughs> and now yeah. it's yeah. no longer okay to say, well, I don't really have to worry about suicide or surviving suicide because it won't happen to me because the numbers that we just quoted speak otherwise. Volumes, of course. And, and so I read something that really, you know, changed the way I think about suicide because when you think about it, right, it's such a scary, violent that most of us want to stay alive for as long as possible. And someone who dies by suicide, you know, hurts themselves in such a profound, violent way that they die, right? That's the intention. And it's not something that the non-suicidal mind can comprehend because it's an irrational act, right, by definition. But you know, my right survival mechanism. We're designed to do the opposite. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. And so when, when my children and I were in our therapist's office less than 24 hours after Rob's death, she, I don't know if she said this that day because we were all in shock. So I actually don't remember what she said that day, but, but she said something in those immediate days and weeks after that I will never forget, which is that a non-suicidal mind, when things are at their worst, because we all go through our low points in life. Life is life is not supposed to be without pain, right? Especially mm-hmm. if you believe in Buddhist or Zen kind of you know theories. Of it's, course, it's about it's learning how you grow, process right. suffering, right? And 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 learning through and evolving through it. But she said the non-suicidal person when things are at their lowest will say on some level, even if it's subconsciously this can't last forever, things will get better. Or they try to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And the suicidal mind says, tomorrow things will be 10,000 times worse. I have to get out now. And, you know, it's like the people that we saw jumping out of the Twin Towers because they knew the buildings were going to collapse. Like that, and when she said that to me, I thought, oh my God, like that is a terrifying, yeah. upsetting thing to even contemplate. And so the bottom line is we don't know what someone's thinking. I think we all in this world where everyone's life is, you know, increasingly more on the screen in front of them than the person in front of them. <laughs> we need to like look at people and say, you know, are you okay? And actually listen to their answer. And if they go, well, you know, yeah, just life stuff. Don't be like, oh, yeah, that's a bummer. Anyway, uh, for tomorrow, uh, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Dr. Ashton. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Dr. Ashton, you know what's really interesting? You touched on something that I have in, in trying to process the loss of, of some of my friends and the impact that it's had on their, you know, community, if you will. I've always struggled with, I feel it's an invasion of privacy to think about where were they 10 minutes before they committed their act yeah. in their mind. Yeah. And for some reason, every time I try to go there, I stop myself because I'd almost feel that they wouldn't want you to be thinking about that. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, well, you know, that, you know what that reminds me of, and mm. it was a little bit of a, a, you know, kind of right turn from that, but you talk about privacy and um, I've been asked a lot, you know, what, what was helpful to you, what wasn't helpful to you. And, um, and it, 
the, the answer that I give is that when people, you know, hear that someone has died by suicide, a lot of people will say, what happened? Right. Yeah. And that to me, like the subtext is how'd they do it? You know, like you, you become like a voyeur, like, well, they mm-hmm. want to hear the details as if it matters. Right. Like right. it, it literally doesn't matter. They're dead by suicide. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what it reminded me of, and this is a bizarre, you know, parallel, but when I was doing my residency as an OBGYN, you know, we were trained on how to do rape kits and take care of um, victims of rape. And the first thing we learn, and this is literally the most important thing, is that when you talk to someone who's been the victim of a sexual assault, you do not need to, nor should you ask them to recount what oh, happened. Fuck. They don't need to fuck. relive those details oh, for you. God. It's irrelevant. Yeah. So all you do is say, you know, was the person using a condom and what orifices were penetrated? That's it. Mm-hmm. You don't need to hear, well, and then what do you do? And oh. then, and then, and then where they, you yeah. know, you don't need that information. And just like with rape, you don't need that information when you're talking to someone about someone else who's died by suicide. Um, because as you're saying, Giancarlo, it's like, that's kind of their private life moments. Yeah. And it's, yeah. It's it's private and it does not matter to the people who are left alive. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly how matter. that's what I tell myself when I'm like, you know what, leave it alone. And they just don't want you to know, you know. Yeah, I have to say, exactly. Dr. Ashton, this this book is so truly profound. Um, and there really is nothing. There's nothing like this uh, in the world. Um, and there's no one like you that could tell the story. Um in, in the way that you can with the platform you have being the woman that you are. Um, and I, I would just simply say to everybody listening, if you have been affected uh, by suicide, you, you must, you must get the book. Um, and of oh course it's, gosh, if you haven't though, <laughs> which is, which is really what I want to say. Like if you can say, well, no, I haven't, but there's so much in this book about dealing with grief and coping with yeah. loss and having conflicting feelings that there's, it's just, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautifully written it, and it moved me. And I, I haven't had a chance to like, really, like I was reading chapters and Cindy had highlighted passages for me and I was just like, Oh my God. Like it, it, it moved me in the way that like that Victor Frankl book moved me, man, search for meaning wow. about transcending grief, transmuting it and finding a purpose and, and finding a way to move on. And the book is called life after suicide, finding courage, comfort, and community after unthinkable loss. And it is on sale everywhere right now. Jillian, I can't thank you guys enough for um, having the courage to talk about this topic. Um, and it just means the world to me. And uh, you know, as as what you guys do in trying to help so many people, I, I just pray and hope that this book uh, helps people as well. Oh, I, I have a feeling that this will <laughs> save some lives on its own. I really, it's such an, it's so incredibly well-written and just so needed to be said. And um, I can't thank you enough for sharing this because I imagine that's got to be so painful. And, um, and, 
when you're done with book press, if you would ever want to explain to me how an eight-year-old goes into puberty, I would also love that because I can. Anytime, girlfriend. Thanks, Anytime. Doc. Okay. When you're back in the wheelhouse, like, yeah, what the fuck? So, I, I, I know, right? Oh, my God. Dr. Ashton, thank you so thank much. You you're so truly much. Sending remarkable. Sending you a big hug. Thank you. Uh, Thanks, guys. Thank you. Back at you. Thank you. And we're going to put the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number in the show notes for this show. Okay, guys, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you get it weekly. You don't even have to think about it on iTunes or Spotify or wherever else you're listening. (laughs) 